Please turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at the first 16 verses of Hebrews chapter 11. Examples of faith, the hall of faith. Commend you guys for being out on a Wednesday night in the middle of summer to study God's word and pray that God richly blesses you. So let's pray together. Father, you tell us in your word that without faith, it's impossible to please you, that you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. So God, we pray that tonight we could grow in faith and grow in in trusting you. We know it doesn't mean that it's always going to result in perfection in our lives, but a continual pursuit of you. So Father, would you send your Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes and our ears? You're so good. Give us a deeper understanding of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. This section's been referred to as the Hall of Faith or the Heroes of Faith because in this chapter, we have several names that are listed that are examples of faith. If you go back to the Old Testament and you study these people's lives, we'll do a little bit of that tonight, you'll find that they're terribly flawed. Uh, that they're filled with mistakes and, and sin and times where they struggle in their relationship with the Lord, time where they struggle with relationship with others. But when you get to Hebrews 11, you don't find any of their flaws. You don't find any of their sin. What's the difference? The cross, the new covenant of Jesus Christ. God has removed our sin from us. So when we go home to be with the Lord and we enter into heaven, we are going to experience a Hebrews chapter 11 existence where all of our sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of times people take Hebrews 11 and they study just that chapter, which is great to do. Uh, Recently, as a family, we went through Hebrews chapter 11 in, in our devotions, and we just went through that chapter. And it was really rich, and it was really, really good. But let me ask you guys, because we've been studying the book of Hebrews on Wednesday nights, is how does this theme of faith fit into the theme of the book? So we've been exhorted in great detail to not go back to the old covenant because Jesus is greater and the new covenant. Remember this church, this Hebrew church that were Jewish believers were being tempted to move away from faith and move back to works. We've talked a lot about not having a works-based relationship with God, but having a faith-based relationship with God. God knows that we need help of what does that look like? What does a faith-based relationship with God look like? So now we have all of these examples from the Old Testament of what it looks like to trust God and live in faith. So this week and next week, part one and part two, we're going to be challenged in faith. God tells us that there's three attributes that are great. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But one of those is faith. And so there's an opportunity for us to be able to grow in faith. What I love about this chapter is we have a great cloud of witnesses. If you look quickly at chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. These cloud of witnesses, this hall of faith, these heroes of faith, that we'll find, yes, indeed, they're flawed. They're rising up off of the pages of Scripture, and they're saying, it can be done. It can be done. We're encouraged by the cloud of witnesses. You know, there's something that's so important about encouragement, isn't there? I love talking to, to parents that have kids that are adults. I love picking their brain and learning from them, and I feel like I'm surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses in terms of growing as a dad and growing as as a parent. I love talking to men who have pastored for 40 years or 50 years in their their 60s and early 70s, and to be able to glean from their experiences in ministry. It's a a cloud of witnesses. And so we have a, a herd or a group of encouragement here from Hebrews chapter 11. They're providing attributes and descriptions of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if you're taking notes, write down faith's definition. Have you ever wondered what God's definition of faith is? 
How does God define faith? So here it is. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Substance is foundation. You know, this, this building has a, a foundation. Your home, your apartment complex has, has a foundation. It, and so the faith, the foundation of faith is the substance of things that you hope for. I was thinking about this and meditating upon it, and I think kids have a great expression of, of faith that's described by substance of things hoped for. What do I mean? So our son Wyatt, he just turned five on June 15th, and he had it in his heart and mind that there was a substance of things hoped for that was going to come on June 15th, <laughs> right? He had a birthday list. He's old enough now to figure out that he was born on June 15th, and this means some birthday presents uh, for him. And then he also figured out that the grandparents are a part of this whole thing, <laughs> and the, and they're the ones that you really need to get the, the birthday list to. And he has also learned that there's some chocolate cake made by mom. And, and, you know, he likes to have his superheroes and make it Batman or Superman, you know. And so these are all the things that he's hoping for that are around his birthday. And it's an innocent faith, isn't it? You know, he, he's trusting that mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, are, they're going to come through on this whole birthday celebration thing. And, and that's faith. It's the substance of, of things hoped for. It's what we're, we're longing for and what we're looking forward to. But when we say the word hope, we, we get misunderstood from a biblical perspective. Because a lot of times, hope for us is a whim or a wish. But from the word of God, it's a, it's a com- confident expectation based on the, the promises of God. We're, we're hoping in the word of God. We're hoping in the promises of God and the character of God. So it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Some of you may think that the moment that you receive Christ as your Savior, you check your brains at the door. You, you stop thinking that in order to have faith, that there can't be any evidence or facts behind your faith. But what does God say about faith? What is his definition of faith? It's evidence of things not seen. So we can't see God, but there's evidence for God. So I want you to understand that. We have firm, concrete evidence for the existence of God. What comes to your mind when you think of evidence for things not seen? Well, we think of creation, We look at the complex design from the creator. Because there's design, there must be a designer, right? If you have a phone in your pocket, someone's designed that phone. There's intricate design, so there has to be a designer. We look around at creation, and it's evidence for the existence of God. We go further, and we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ claimed to be God predicted his death and resurrection, the empty tomb is evidence for the existence of Christ being God. That's an important one to to look at and to hold on to. The harmony of the scriptures. There's 66 books in the Bible with a variety of different authors, and yet there's tremendous harmony in the word of God. That's evidence for the existence of God. Bible prophecy. We don't talk a lot about Bible prophecy as, as Christians, but prophecy points to Jesus Christ. And the Bible is filled with prophecy, very detailed prophecies. If, if you want to really concrete evidence for the existence of God, study prophecy throughout Scripture. But no, there's evidence for the things that are unseen. So that's faith's definition. That's what we're striving for. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In verse 2, For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. So faith's gain. Is there gain to faith? Remember the end of chapter 10? The just shall live by faith. The just walk by faith. The way that a relationship with God works is by faith. So these elders, this cloud of witnesses, they had a good testimony with God because they trust God. Because they walked in faith. And this faith was then expressed in their actions, and it's, it's faith's gain. So, so how do you get favor with God? How do you have good testimony with God? By faith, by trusting him, who he says he is, the truth of his word, to begin to act upon the word of God in our lives. When we think of faith, what you really believe, you'll, you behave upon, don't you? 
Like if you believe that you've got a plane ticket with Southwest Airlines, and you booked your ticket there so you wouldn't have to pay for bags, right? You got your boarding pass and maybe you're lucky enough to be in the A group. You, know, you, you believe enough in that ticket to get to DIA on time because they don't fly out of Colorado Springs. Check in your bags, go stand in line and, and get on this plane and trust that they're going to take you to the destination that they're advertising. Because you acted on something that you believe. And so, so if we say that we believe in God, then it, it's going to result in our behavior. It's going to result in our actions. And there's gain there. We, we gain a good testimony with God. It's, it will result in works. It will result in a, in a changed life as we trust the Lord and follow after the Lord. In verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So faith's understanding, number three. We, we've seen faith's definition, faith's gain, but faith's understanding. We understand that the, word, the worlds were framed by the word of God. This takes us to Genesis chapter 1. Where God spoke everything into existence. How do we know that? Through the evidence. We look at the evidence. And we receive it through faith. I believe that it takes more faith to believe in evolution than a creator speaking all things into existence. Because when you really look at the facts and you look at the evidence, where, where's the evidence for evolution? I was watching some nature show with the kids and with the family. They were talking about the mosquitoes in Alaska. I guess there's lots of mosquitoes in Alaska. And I've never really pondered that before. I've never been to Alaska, but they were talking about trillions of mosquitoes in Alaska. And then they said this statement that the mosquito is 40 million years old. And I'm thinking, if evolution's true, why is this mosquito still a mosquito? Right? It's like, when I look at the Bible, I, I do believe in the literal six-day creation where God spoke all things into existence. And when you look at the age of the earth, was Adam an infant when he was created? What do you guys think? Was he an infant? No. He was a mature man. So all of God's creation was created with maturity. So how do you date that? It didn't start at infancy. Does that make sense? And so the whole thing of scientists trying to put time on all of those things, but let's just give them that it's 40 million years. I don't believe it's 40 million years from a biblical perspective. Then why is that sucker still a mosquito? You know? <laughs> so we have, we have four kids, and what my wife has always said, if, if evolution were true, with each more kid that we had, she would have another arm in hand, right? Once you get past two, if evolution were, were true, moms would have three hands and then, and then four hands. However, the kids were convinced that she did have eyes in the back of her head for a long time, right? So it's by faith that we look at creation and we believe that there is a creator and that God spoke all things into existence. There would be some that study the Bible and study theology and they would say that this is not a big deal whether you believe that God created the world or not. Well, verse 3 sure makes it sound like it's a big deal. Because if you don't believe that God is the creator, you've taken something away from God. And then Romans chapter 1 shows us it's very important what we believe about creation as well. So turn with me quickly to Romans chapter 1. And let's look at verse 20. Romans 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. When? Since the creation of the world. Creation shows the invisible attributes of God being understood by things that are made. So God assumes that creation will acknowledge him as the creator. It makes sense. It's logical. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. 
simply from the testimony of creation. If you reject that God is the creator, God says you're without excuse. Is it a big deal? What happens to the human heart if we reject the creator? Verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What did they do? They rejected the creator and started to worship the creation. God in turn turned their hearts over to darkness. So does God say it's a big deal to believe that he's the creator? Very much so. Is it important that our kids and our grandkids and the kids in children's ministry and youth ministry and the young adults ministry understand that God's the creator? Absolutely. It's very important because if we reject it, we see this downward spiral that happens. So verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, men also leaving the natural use of women burned in their lusts for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their heir, which was due. And even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, the knowledge of God, God gave them over to debased minds to do things which are not fitting. And we see this list being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whispers, backbiters, and the list goes on and on and on, and it sounds a lot like the culture we live in today. Well, what happened? They rejected God as the creator. They rejected God as the creator. Is it okay to wrestle with this? Yes. Is it something you need to sort out? Yes. Because this is faith's understanding. Back to Hebrews 11, verse 3, it says, by faith, we understand that the words were... The worlds were framed by the word of God. Because if I can believe that God created the world, if I believe that God spoke all things into existence, that's going to affect my walk of faith, isn't it? That's going to affect my knowledge of God. When I'm going to the Lord and I'm going, Lord, I'm really struggling with this problem, I realize I'm talking to the creator of the universe that spoke all things into existence. If I don't believe that he's the creator, and we evolved... That's going to affect my prayer life, isn't it? I'm going, well, well, God, I'm not really sure if you created all of this. So do the homework. Look at creation. Look at the intricate design in which God has put things together and see where you end up. And hopefully you end up in that place of faith's understanding that God created the worlds. Now we get into these examples. In verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. First two brothers, Cain and Abel. Can you imagine how excited Adam and Eve are? They've sinned, they've been kicked out of the Garden of Eden, but they have hope, and here she is expecting and has her first son, Cain, and then has her second son, Abel, and they're growing up. This story doesn't end well, does it? The first family experiences homicide. Things aren't off to a very good start. We find that Cain kills his, his brother Abel. And maybe underline and meditate upon each of these examples tonight. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent gift. Each person that we're going to see, there's an action that's connected with their faith. Because a life of faith is going to be lived out. And for Abel, he gave a more excellent sacrifice. So there's a few questions here. When you go back to the Genesis account in Genesis uh, chapter 4, did God tell them to bring an animal sacrifice? We, we don't know. 
We don't know if, if God told them to bring an animal sacrifice. We know that these two boys had different jobs. You know, that Abel was over the flocks and Cain was, was the farmer. And a lot of people assume that Cain's offering wasn't accepted because he didn't bring an animal sacrifice. But we have clarity here in verse 4. What made Abel's sacrifice so worthy is he offered it in faith. I don't know if the issue was what they were offering, but I can tell you with absolute certainty there was a problem with Cain's heart. That his heart wasn't in that right place with the Lord of faith and pleasing God. He's going through the motions, and here you have Abel, and Abel's offering a gift to God based in faith. Based that God is really receiving this. It wasn't a game. He wasn't going through the motions. And then on top of it, Cain gets jealous of Abel's offering. He doesn't like the fact that God received Abel's offering. And that then spurs him on to want to murder and to kill, kill his brother. He was moved with, with jealousy. But what is it about Abel that causes him to be in the hall of faith? It's because he gave an offering through faith. What an awesome thing. So we're trying to figure out what does it mean to live a life of faith? If faith is so important, is offer things to God, believing that he sees, believing that he responds, believing that he's pleased by that offering. It might be the offering of time. You say, God, I just want to spend time with you. I want to open up your word. I want to worship you. It could be coming on a Wednesday night. Or you're making a sacrifice to, to be here in the midst of your, your busy schedule. It could be giving and choosing to, to tithe to your local church or to give to a person in need. It's really how the Holy Spirit's moving upon your life, but you're, you're wanting to live out your faith. And so you're sacrificing and you're making an offering and you're knowing God sees and I find this convicting sometimes when we talk about going through the motions. Sometimes with prayer, I'm not really praying in a way that I truly believe that God's listening. I'm going through the motions of prayer. There's not a lot of faith behind that prayer. But then there's other times, and it's usually accompanied with brokenness and pain, that my faith in prayer goes way up. <laughs> And I'm like, get real desperate before God, and those prayers get very real be be before the Lord. You know, I, I bet there's, if we're honest, when we think about worship and singing to God, there's sometimes that we're offering a sacrifice to God by faith. Right? God, you're hearing this song, and I'm singing to you with my heart, and I want you to know that I love you. And there's other times where we're completely checked out, Right? And so this is a challenge with Abel to, to really be in that place of saying, I'm offering something to God through faith. I know he sees and I know that he's pleased. Again, I'm not doing this to earn or deserve salvation. That's come through the sacrifice of Christ, but this is a response to Christ. So definitely the first family had its fair share of trouble and weaknesses. Where did this murder in Cain's heart come from? He wasn't even on social media. He didn't have a Facebook account, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever that is, right? He, he didn't see all these murders on TV with movies. He didn't have video games where he was shooting people all the time. There was murder in his heart. And yeah, those things are completely damaging. They can destroy the, the, the human heart. But even without those things, murder was inside of the heart of Cain. Our next example is Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he didn't see death and was not found because God had taken him away. For he was taken, for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Genesis 5, verse 23, tells us more about Enoch. Very short little section about Enoch. So all of the days of Enoch were 365 years. People lived longer before the flood. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. The best commentary on Scripture is Scripture, and here God gives us more detail about Enoch. Enoch didn't die, but God took him home to heaven. Some have described it this way, that Enoch walked so closely with God 
that finally he was closer to God's house than his own house. And so God says, Enoch, why don't you just come on home? And then Enoch, through faith, received God's invitation. Enoch didn't go, oh, I'm supposed to die. Like, he's like, well, if you want to do this, God, we can do this and, and go home right now. Don't have to die. And so the Lord took him and, and he was not. Imagine if you're Enoch's wife or kids or grandkids. You're like, what happened to dad? God just took him, you know? And it's very clear here that he had this testimony that he pleased God, that he walked with God. So how does a life of faith be lived? What's the example of faith? What's the testimony for us that we can walk with God? Abel offered sacrifice through faith. Enoch, he walked with the Lord. What a great testimony. You know, we don't have that Enoch killed giants. We don't have that Enoch parted the Red Sea. We don't have any of that about Enoch. We just have this very simple statement. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. God was pleased with Enoch. This is a man that fellowship with God, that spent time with God, that walked with the Lord. This is an expression of faith. This is how faith can be lived out in our lives. Next example, before we get to the next example, there's this exhortation about faith in verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who'll diligently seek him. Faith's demand. God has a demand with faith. He says, it's impossible to please him without faith. You can do works. You can try to keep the law. But he's not pleased through works of the law. He's pleased through faith. He's pleased through faith. He's pleased when we trust him. You know, there's something that's very rewarding and honoring about trust, isn't there? When someone takes you at your word and they say, I trust you. I believe you. Why would you, why would you lie to me? It'd be kind of obnoxious if you had a friend that you wanted to bless and take out to lunch and they're like, can, can you really afford that? Like, really? You're going to take me out to lunch? Have you checked your bank account? Like, are you going to you're going to bounce your debit card if you do that? Or are you putting it on a credit card? Or you're like, chill out, man. I just wanted to buy you lunch. Like, I, let me figure out whether I can afford it or not. Or if I've got the money or not. Like, just relax. Like, I want to buy you lunch, right? But we probably wouldn't do that. If, if you do that, you probably don't have very many friends. You know, you don't get invited back to lunch very, very often. You know, it would be offensive if someone didn't trust you in that manner. Say, okay, if you want to buy me lunch, I'll, I'll let you buy me lunch. I appreciate that, you know. And so God's pleased when we trust him, when we believe him. It's impossible to please God without faith. That's how important faith is to the Lord. And if we're going to believe in him, then we have to believe that he is. We have to believe that he exists. It's hard to approach somebody that you don't believe exists. And that he's a rewarder to those who diligently seek him. Another example of faith. How how is faith lived out? To diligently seek the Lord. God honors those who seek him. If you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Next example is Noah. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things yet not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, what did Noah do? He responded to the warning that God gave him about future judgment. Can you imagine what it would have been like for, for Noah when God revealed to him that there was going to be a worldwide flood? And that's the kind of stuff you don't share with people because you're clinically crazy. Like for us, we look back and we go, yeah, there was a flood. But there had never been a flood like that prior or since. And here's Noah. It's like you hear him sawing, hammering, gets his sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Come on, boys. Let's build this huge, giant boat. You know, talk to some friends tonight. They went and saw the Creation Museum. 
where they've built a life-size ark because we have the dimensions of the ark in the, in the Old Testament. I'd like to go see that sometime, you know. I believe over in children's ministry, we have a scale uh, of, the, of the ark in the power and light theater where it's, it's built in proportion to if, if you've got a little model giraffe, then how big the ark is, is compared to this. This is a huge undertaking of faith that Noah did that nobody understood, right? said, you're absolutely crazy for doing this. But what happened? What was the result of this? He was moved with godly fear. His reverence for God won out, and his whole household was saved because he built this ark. Now, dads, this spurs us on, doesn't this? Moms, this spurs us on to say, man, if I walk in faith, my faith... My actions of faith could be a refuge for my children. What God's asking you to do to step out in faith could radically affect your kids. And God's got a story for your family. And so trust him. Trust him. And say, okay, Lord, this seems crazy, but we want to walk in faith. We want to do what you're asking us to do. Looks different for each family, but you're actually providing an ark for, for your kids. Ultimately, the ark points to Christ. The ark saved Noah and his family from judgment, and Jesus saves us from judgment. And as we're investing in Christ and building up our family in faith, Christ becomes that refuge for them from that impeding judgment. And so Noah, what did he do by faith? He responded to how he was divinely warned. And he moved in, in faith. Do we know a future judgment that's still unseen? Absolutely, we know from Scripture. We know of hell for people that reject Christ as their Savior. We know the second coming of Jesus Christ, where Christ is going to judge a Christ-rejecting world. And that should move us with godly fear. That, that should move us to be compelled to live out and share the gospel. Abraham, our next example. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. In the book of Genesis, it tells us that Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldees. History tells us that it was a well-developed city where they even had indoor plumbing. This ancient city with indoor plumbing. Seems like the economy was good. And God says, Abraham, Abram at the time was his name, I want you to take Sarai and leave to the land that I will show you. And by faith, again, we're seeing what it means to live a life of faith, examples of faith. Abraham trusts the Lord. And he says, okay, Lord, I'll take step A and trust that you will show me step B. The journey of faith, the knowing is in the going. I believe that God very systematically has shown us each one of these for a reason. Shows us able to say, believer, I want you to be offering sacrifices by faith. Shows us Enoch. Says, believer, I want you to walk with me. Shows us Noah that says, I want you to be building an ark based on what you know is future judgment. Not build a bunker, but be pointing people to Christ. And then what do we learn from Abraham? To walk by faith is be willing to take the step of obedience even if you don't know where it's going. Do you think God realized that we would be culturally Americans when he wrote this? As Americans, what do we want? All the information, A to Z. God, I, I'm willing to do this, but you need to show me all the steps. God never works that way. He never does. He always says, take one step at a time and trust me. Take one step at a time and trust me. We can be a believer, be saved, be going to heaven, but not know what it is to walk by faith because we're unwilling to do A, not knowing where it's going to lead. The knowings and the going. Okay, God, you asked me to do this. You're going to lead me one step at a time. And Abraham was willing to do that. And so God commended him for it. In verse 9, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a, a foreign country. God told him that he would give to him the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, and he dwelt there. He dwelt in the promised land. God eventually showed him where the promised land was that he would inherit, his descendants would inherit. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. 
For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Huh. So here he is in the promised land, but he's living in a tent. As he's living in a tent, he's looking for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham, way back in the Old Testament, was heavenly minded. He knew the promised land in Israel wasn't all that there was, even though it's hugely significant. He knew that this world wasn't all that there was. And he kept his focus on the city that had foundations. None of the cities here have foundations. It wouldn't take a whole, whole lot for Colorado Springs to not be sustainable and not be on the map. I mean, a lot of major cities throughout history are ruins today. You even go up to Cripple Creek on the backside of Pikes Peak, and it's a shadow of what it used to be during the, the gold rush. We, we really don't have foundations when it comes to eternity. And so here Abraham's studying things, and he's heavenly-minded. He's looking for the city which builder and maker is God. I find this really difficult. I find it really challenging to be as heavenly-minded as I should. To go through this life, I can tell you, I can share with you, you know, this life is not all that there is. But then I get busy in my daily life and I act like this life is, is all that there is. And by faith, Abraham, he's journeying and he knew in his heart, man, I'm looking forward to heaven. This isn't all that there is. I'm looking forward to heaven. Maybe in our culture with all of our prosperity, it's a little bit harder for us. You know, if you're, if you're living in Uganda and you're a believer, maybe it's a little bit easier to focus on heaven because this world's not all that it's cracked up to be. But we need to be reminded, this world's not all that it's cracked up to be. Did Abraham have weaknesses? We talked a little bit about Cain and Abel and the weakness of that family. Yeah, Abraham did. Abraham twice lied about the identity of his wife. Comes into a city and apparently she was really attractive. Says, if, if you say that you're my wife, they're going to kill me to marry you. So why don't you just say that you're my sister? Sarah's like, okay. Sounds like a plan. He did it twice, you know. And God rescued Sarah even from her husband's foolishness. Wives be encouraged, you know. (laughs) Praise the Lord that God's bigger than your husband's foolishness, my foolishness. In verse 11, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So now we have Sarah as an example of faith. Why? Because she judged God faithful who had promised. She could no longer have kids. Went through her whole married life never being able to conceive But God said she was going to have a child. So she believed that God would someday fulfill that promise, even though the years then passed. There's no physical way that she could have, have children, but she judged God faithful. Church, I think this is so freeing when it comes to a life of faith. It's true faith doesn't consider our own weaknesses. That's what Sarah and Abraham did. They said, God is big enough to do this even if we're physically unable because he's faithful. He's faithful. We get too busy looking at ourselves. We go, God can't use me. I'm so flawed and I'm weak and I struggle. There's no way that God can use me. Well, what does God say? God says he uses weak and foolish things for his glory. So who am I gonna believe, myself or God? Take myself out of the equation. And look at God and say, okay, God, you say that you use weak and foolish people for for your glory. Well, I got that down. So I'm going to trust that you're bigger than my my own weakness. I want to read to you from Romans 4. And it talks about Abraham's faith in, in this regard. Write it down. Romans 4, verse 19. It says, And not being weak in faith, he didn't consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So he didn't even consider his own weakness. He's like, God, you can do it. He didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief. What was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that he who had promised was able to, to perform it. 
awesome. Sarah and Abraham are a tremendous example of faith that they judged God worthy to fulfill his promises. Verse 12, therefore from one man, being Abraham, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in the multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So you have a couple that's well past being able to have kids, and God allowed them to have their promised child, and through Isaac then, the multitudes of Abraham's descendants being more than the number of the stars in the sky. Is this for you tonight? Is there any, you don't have to raise your hand or put it on Facebook or anything weird like that, but is this for you? Where you go, you know, God has been speaking some promises to my heart, but I haven't been believing them because I've failed, because I'm weak, because I'm not all that, that I, I should be. Be encouraged with, with Sarah. She judged that God was faithful. Now, we don't hear of any of Abraham and Sarah's weaknesses here. But did Sarah have weaknesses? Yeah. She had this great idea after years of not getting pregnant and being tired of hearing this about this promise of God. She says, here, why don't you have Hagar, my handmaiden, and we'll fulfill God's promise on our own. And Abraham didn't argue. You know, he didn't have to think twice about that one. He should have, right? He should have. So he has relationship with Hagar and, and Ishmael is born. And as soon as Ishmael is born, Sarah starts to behave in a, in a jealous manner. She, she's mean towards Hagar and to, to, to Ishmael. And so we see a side of Sarah where she had weakness. God comes and tells her of this promise that she still would have a child. And what does she do? She laughs. And it wasn't a laugh of like, oh God, you're so good. You're going to do this. It was a lack of scorn, like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Like, over my dead body, you know, you're going to do this. So faith sometimes is a process, isn't it? Is it that way in your life? It's that way in my life. Sometimes God comes and speaks and speaks through his word, and I'm like, no, that, that, that's for somebody else. That's not for, for me. And, and that's what Sarah wrestled through, but she came to a place of faith. Now we get a conclusion about them. In verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Church, we want to die in faith. We want to be like Enoch. We want to be like Noah. We want to be like Abraham and Sarah and Abel. We want to be like the Apostle Paul at the end of his life that says, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have died in faith. I've died in faith. Not in perfection. They struggled, but they continued to believe in the Lord. They continued to trust from the Lord. They didn't waver from their confidence in God. And that's what God desires from us. That's what he wants from us is to say, I'm going to die in faith. I'm going to take my last breath trusting in the Lord. That's what the church of Hebrews was in danger of losing, and they're being exhorted and encouraged, die in faith. This group that we've just read about, they hadn't received the promises. They'd seen them afar off, but they embraced them. They, they, they held on to them, and they confessed, and they said, they're strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Like a boy that's four, that's just about ready to turn five, <laughs> that hasn't yet received the promise, but embraces them in faith. Oh, to have childlike faith. And go, here, I'm walking here on the earth, but I know that I'm going to heaven because I've got a father that's good, that fulfills his promise, so I'm going to embrace those promises. And I'm going to confess, I'm going to acknowledge that I'm a stranger and that I'm a pilgrim on the earth. The, the stranger means that we're never going to fit in here. As God's children, we're never going to fit in with this world system, and so embrace it. Embrace it. I think that there's an opportunity for tremendous growth right now because it's not cultural in the United States of America to be a Christian. It's never been cultural to be a Christian throughout history. We're living in a misnomer to think that it was cultural to be a Christian in America. Even during that time period, could you say that we really had a Christian society? 
It wasn't very deep, was it? So now we have to acknowledge, if I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going against culture and I'm swimming upstream. It's going to have to mean something. I've got to recognize I'm a stranger. I'm not going to fit in at work. I'm not going to fit in maybe at the college campus. I'm not going to fit in on my street or the apartment complex. Not that we aren't friends with sinners, that we don't love people and we don't relate with people, but we're not longing to have their acceptance. I'm a stranger. And then with that, I'm a pilgrim and I'm passing through. They, they realized, even in the Old Testament, that they were journeying towards heaven. They're a pilgrim. They're, they're passing through. In verse 14, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. So now this is personal application for us is that we just say very plainly, I'm seeking a homeland. I'm journeying towards heaven. That's what I'm longing for. That's what I'm looking for. That's where my anticipation is. Jesus understood this. In John 13, it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. Jesus was seeking a homeland. He knew he was temporary here. And knowing that it was his time to depart, what did he do? He loved, and he loved till the end. So when we seek a homeland, what's our conclusion? Our conclusion isn't, well, I'm just going to check out. I'm a, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. I'm just passing through, so I don't really care what happens to the lot of you. Was that, is that how Jesus interpreted that? He's like, I'm a pilgrim. I'm going to be reunited with my father, so I'm going to love. I'm going to love fully and completely till the end. Verse 15, and truly if they had called to mind the country from which they'd come out, they would have had opportunity to return. So as Billy was sharing at the beginning of service, we went out and, and hiked a 14er today. And the reason for that is our high school students were out hiking a 14er. They did a wilderness excursion where they left Sunday, did all this crazy outdoor stuff, mountain biking, rock climbing, hiking, and then they ended it with a 14er. So we met them out at the trail uh, this morning and, and hiked the 14er with them. And if you've ever had that experience to, to, to hike a 14er here in, in Colorado, it really fits with verse 15. Because especially today on this trail at Mount Bierstadt, as you're walking and you're walking and you're walking, you could look back and see the parking lot. And at first, you could see your vehicle and the church minibus. And it was appealing to just consider going back. And it, it's not a real difficult 14er. There's a lot that are harder. It's like three and a half miles up and three and a half miles down, but it's still difficult. You know, I haven't done one for four years, and I'm older now than I was four years ago. And so now you're hiking up the mountain, and you can still see that stinking parking lot, Right? Like, why are we doing this? You know, this, I don't know whose idea this was, but man, if it was mine, I, man, it was a bad idea, right? And as long as you were looking back, the more discouraged you were. But then also you could look ahead and you're looking all the way up to the top and that could be discouraging as well. You're like, that, that seems like a long ways up there, Right? And so the little group that I was hiking with was like, you know what, let's just pick that little spot on the trail and try to get there. Like 100 feet, 200 feet. And you get there, take a little rest. Go a little bit further, take a rest. Go a little bit further and take a rest. And before you know it, you're at the top. You're like, oh, this, this feels great. And this group right here that we've been reading about, they would have had opportunity to turn back to turn back from a life of faith if they would have focused on the parking lot. You with me? But instead, what did they do? Verse 16, but now they desired a better, that is a heavenly country. So they put their focus on what was before them, of what lied ahead in heaven. And so we look forward to the top of the peak of being home with the Lord, and then we go, okay, Lord, can I do tonight? Can you do tonight? Can you go home, get some rest? Yeah, you can do tonight. Can you get up in the morning? Maybe with a cup of coffee, right? 
then don't go any further. Just, that's it. I'm going to do tomorrow morning. I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to do tomorrow morning. I'm going to go 100 feet. But don't look back. Don't look back. Keep walking in faith. Because looking back brings discouragement, and you can return if you desire to. So keep looking forward. Look forward to heaven and whatever God has for you next. And this is where we end. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. With Abraham and Sarah's weakness, Noah's weakness, he got drunk after the flood was over. Had to have been discouraging to get off the ark and say, okay, me and my family, we're going to start completely over. He grew some grapes. The grapes got a, the best of them, and he, he, was, he was drunk as all get out, naked laying on the floor. This amazing man, Noah, right? There would be some people that would go, you know what? I don't know if I'd claim Noah. He, he did something really good, but then did you see him naked, drunk? I don't, I don't know if I'd claim Noah. And Abraham lying about his wife and having a relationship with Hagar, I don't know if I'd claim, claim Abraham. And, and Sarai, you know, she, here she was laughing at the promise of God. What does God say there in verse 16? He's not ashamed of them. He's like, that's my boy right there. Abraham, he trusted me and he walked in faith. Was he perfect? No, but he trusted me and he walked in faith. And he trusted me and he walked in faith. Sarah, was she perfect? No, but she trusted me and it was evident in her life. And she lived it out. Noah, did he ever do everything right? He didn't do everything right, but he built an ark because he believed in me. And that's my boy right there, right? I want to be on that list. I want God to say, I'm not ashamed to say that Eric's my son because he believes in me. He trusts in me. He's not perfect. He's flawed, but he believes in me and he trusts in me. I want to encourage you, these are examples of faith that rise off the pages of Scripture and say it can be done and study them and say, okay, Lord, I want to take these attributes and apply them to my life. So let's stand and let's pray together. Father, it's a real temptation to look back, to be drawn back, to be discouraged. It's easy to get complacent when it comes to faith. And we pray in Jesus' name that you would grow us in faith and that we would diligently seek you. And like Abel, we would give offerings to you. And like Enoch, we would walk with you. Like Abraham, we would take one step at a time as you call us. Like Sarah, that we would judge you to be faithful. We could go through this life as strangers and pilgrims. Lord, where our faith is weak, would you make it strong? Would you give us greater love for your word? Because we know that faith comes by hearing of the word. We also know that our faith is strengthened in communion. And as we take communion tonight, we judge you faithful. You accomplished salvation for us. You can take care of all the details. So we draw near to you.